Great. Can we pray and then we're going to dive into the word. Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your word that comes forth and does not return to you void. Lord, we receive this word with just excitement um, because we know that it will change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I am continuing uh, with our wonderful series that we started called The Word. Um, thank you, Pascara, for that. Who? Um, and uh, The Word has been such a challenging um, series for me in that Obviously, I read the Bible. I try as far as possible to read the Bible every day. Uh, it helps me because I work for the church, so it's just like, ah, you have, it's part of your job description to read the Bible. So, <laughs> so I read the Bible because obviously I have to work. So, but it's, but it's just been, it's been amazing uh, to do that. The challenge has been this, that obviously I have to extend and go over and above my normal reading time, you'd think because you're a pastor, it's an easy thing to do. It's not. It is just as difficult as some of you might find it. You know, you plan your day, you plan your meetings, you plan your things, and you realize, well, you haven't planned and given enough time to the reading of your word based on the challenge that we've been on 15 minutes a day. So it's been good to be challenged, uh, to try and shift things around to be able to accommodate this challenge. So if you've been doing that, I would love to encourage you to continue, and I would love to thank you for participating in this. And if you haven't been doing it, I'm reminding you, you. that this challenge continues, that please continue on it. All right, another water. So today's message is going to be on obey the word obey the word i thought we would start from the new testament and then we'll end with a story in the old testament to try and uh, perhaps illustrate the points that i would extract from the scripture in the new testament matthew chapter 7 24 to 27 now before i read that this is almost the these are the final remarks of Jesus on a teaching that he started in Matthew chapter 5. I, I don't know by biblical statistics if this was the longest preaching of Jesus, but it may be the longest preaching of Jesus or one of the longest preachings of Jesus in the Bible. This preaching starts in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is preaching to people at what you would call maybe like a picnic message because he realizes there are so many people who are coming to him to hear the word and he decides you know what i'm gonna pull back get onto the mountain so that i can be able to speak to a crowd and so this was called the sermon on the mount because jesus decided to just withdraw a little bit and be further away from the people so that he can be elevated and be able to speak to people so that they can hear him and so he starts this message in chapter 5, goes on into chapter 6, and then this is the end of uh, chapter 7. Now in chapter 5 and 6, Jesus talks about a lot of things. He talks about morality. He talks about how people should live within the context of their family, their society, their nation. He talks about how we should engage God through the Lord's Prayer. And he talks about a whole lot of things and then he comes to this, which I believe is almost the climax of his message. Yeah. 
when he, when he wants to say, in other words, if you didn't hear anything I said in chapter 5, chapter 6, and all of chapter 7, please hear this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." He says, everything I've said, and this is my summary. If you have heard anything of that which I have said, and you've just only heard and didn't do it, this is what I'm comparing you to. I'm comparing you to a foolish person. And if you've heard the words of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and you put them into practice, Luke calls that builder a wise builder. Three things I want to talk about from this scripture, and then we're going to dive into the Old Testament story to show it. One is that from Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 7, 24 to 27, hearing the word only is good, but it's not adequate. Jesus says, if you hear the word, you are like a man who starts to build a house. Literally, you start to build. Now, building a house involves investment. It involves money and time. It involves a lot of work to build a house. So when you hear the word only, you are like this man. You put in a lot of work. You put in a lot of investment. But in the end, your house doesn't stand because you only heard the word and you didn't practice the word. You only heard the word, but you didn't obey the word. The distinction between the two houses was only when the winds came and the storms came. But in the absence of the storms and the wind, the two houses were similar. Because they were both built houses. But the distinction was when the times became hostile to the things that they'd built, then they realized, hey, your house is only built on hearing the word, on coming to church on Sunday and hearing preaching after preaching. And you go back home and do the same things that you've been doing. And the other person who comes to church and hears the words and goes back home and says, Holy Spirit, help me. How can I obey the word that I heard yesterday? And the only thing that distinguishes that is when times become hostile to this. And the second thing, is obedience means hearing and doing the word. Obedience is not just hearing the word. It is hearing and doing the word. How would you feel you are a manager of a department and every time you say to the person in charge of, for instance, finance, you tell them, hey, can you please uh, send that invoice out? They say, yes, sir, I'll send that invoice. Oh, yes, ma'am, I'll send that invite. Or rather that invoice. <laughs> and then the next day you ask them, did you send that invoice? No, I didn't. Did you hear what I said? I heard. <laughs> and then you repeat the same thing. And they never get to do what you ask them to do. Will you keep them in your department? You don't review what you would do. But... <laughs> 
The point I'm trying to make is that obedience is both hearing the word and doing the word, obeying the word. The third point is that obedience, obeying the word, does not exempt you from adversity, but protects you from it. Because of what Jesus is saying, he says, both houses will experience the same conditions. It does not mean because you obey the word, your life is preserved from the challenges of life. But when you obey the word, the challenges of life will not overcome you because you obey the word. And so obeying the word doesn't exempt you, but it protects you from them. Jesus uses this metaphor of the winds and the streams and the rain. Now, I'm, I try to understand the figures that I used here to communicate a message because Jesus was trying to communicate a message using uh, these metaphors. I know that the wind would, would represent something that Literally, if you read uh, uh, John chapter, chapter 3, the engagement of Jesus with Nicodemus where he's saying, you know, you hear the wind, but you don't know where it's coming from nor where it's going. In other words, it's there, but you have no control over it. Yeah. And so the wind, in my interpretation, would represent things that come against your life that you have no control over. They will come anyway. And the storms and the rain, obviously these are seasonal things. They don't always come. They are there in seasons. In other words, there will be challenges in your life that will not always be there, but they will be seasonal challenges. And you've got to be able to hear the word and obey the word. And by doing that, it protects you from both the winds, the things that you have no control over, and the things that are seasonal that beat against your life that beach against anything that you build. And from this scripture, we can deduce that anything you build with God shall be tested. If you are building a marriage with God, it will be tested. If you are building a career with God, it will be tested. If you are raising your children the way of God, it will be tested. That anything that you build with God will be tested. But what will protect you from the test would be the fact that you heard the word and you did the word. And so there's a story of a man that I admire a lot. In the book of Actor, did I say Actor? <laughs> in the book of Esther, you know when you want to say three things in one sentence, <laughs> you end up saying nothing. But anyway, in the book of Esther, and um, although the, the book is the book of Esther, this character that we're going to talk about this morning is a male character, the cousin of Esther called Mordecai. When I, when I read the Bible, I have, I have my, I have, sometimes I find heroes in the Bible that I relate to, that encourage me, that, you know, help me continue in my faith walk with God. And Mordecai is one of them. The likes of Samuel would be another one. Another one would be Daniel. People that against all odds still did not allow the odds to define who they were. They defied the odds. Mordecai is living in a system that is designed and created to oppress and suppress them. They are in captivity at this time. Everything around him is about suppression and oppression. 
of his aspirations, his dreams, anything that he would stand for would have to go through this process because he's a slave in another place. And so he's living in this place of slavery. But although he's in captivity, he doesn't allow himself to be captured by the realities of his captivity. Although the system is designed to torture him and to oppress him, yet he doesn't allow the external system to influence his internal values and beliefs. Although he is here in this hostile environment, externally, he refuses to be bitter internally because he understands the God he serves and he's living in captivity. And so Esther chapter 3, 2 to 6 says, after these events, now I was practicing these names last night with my wife and we both pronounced them differently. So however I pronounce it, However I pronounce them, if, if, you, if you know how to pronounce them, please talk to me at the end. Um, <laughs> but after these events, uh, King Zesus honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, okay, <laughs> the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, now please pay careful attention here, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Zesus. Scorned the idea of killing a Mordecai. He looked at himself and thought, he's just the boy, this guy. I'll kill his entire people because I can't fight with him. He's not on my level. He's conned the idea of just attacking one person. But he says, I'll just kill his entire people. And sometimes this is the price of obeying the word of God. After these things, what are these things? The Queen Esther, who was a slave girl in this land, had just become the queen to the king. When I was preparing for this, and my wife and I were talking about this last night, the Lord gave me almost a parallel life or theme that was going on here. One is, after these things, which were the things that Mordecai had revealed to the king that there was a conspiracy to assassinate him. 
And the king just heard the matter and wrote it down in the book of Annals and didn't do anything about it. The other thing that had happened in the previous verses was that Esther, who was a slave girl, had just become queen in the land where she was a slave. And then after these things, the enemy of the people of God got promoted. So on one hand, you have this unmerited favor, this common slave girl from literally nowhere who has become queen. And this is just the evidence of the grace of God for her to get to the place where she got. It's inexplicable because how can you explain a slave becoming queen? Except through the grace of God. On another hand, there is this general of the army who's against the people of God who has also been promoted in the same season as the promotion of Esther. Sometimes, and this is not doctrinal truth, this is a biblical observation. That sometimes we live life in this dual process of this extreme provision and grace of God on one hand. This unmerited abundant favor on one hand that we cannot explain. And then on another hand, we feel like our lives is facing this general who's against our lives who's been promoted to a place of prominence. And we're caused to, you have this thriving business and then your family is breaking down. And like, why can I not have both a thriving family and a thriving business? You get caught up in this, in this duality of life. The enemy of God has been promoted at the same time Esther has been promoted to become queen. And Mordecai has to live in that duality and still obey the word of God, even at the expense of his own life. And so a command is given when this man is promoted that, hey, every person at the king's gate must bow down to this man. Some theologians go to explain that this was not worship. This was just to honor uh, the, the person's position. And there isn't any consensus around scholars on what this honor really meant. But I think the key to this for me as I'm preaching this message is the fact that when the people talked to him a lot, he said to them, um, where is that? He said he was a Jew. Anyway, he said to them that the reason why I would not bow to this man is because I am a Jew. And by implication, that would mean that whatever that honor or that bowing intended to achieve was not consistent with his Jewish practices. The reason why he refuses because he said, I do not want to violate my belief system because I should bow down to this man. I will obey the word of God in the midst of this man that I know that can eventually kill me, but I don't care. I will obey the word of God. And so Mordecai refused to bow down. And when he refused to bow down, this man says, I don't want to just kill you. I will kill not even your family. I will kill all your people. In captivity literally I will kill all your people sometimes when we obey God in the midst of our challenges we risk 
not only just our own lives. Sometimes it's the lives of our families. It's the lives of our community at the expense of, of all these things when we trust and obey the word of God. And sometimes obedience comes at a price. But God, as we know in the story, is always faithful to perform his word when we obey him. So obedience. So Mordecai obeyed God. Three points I want to take from this. One is that Mordecai obeyed the word of God when circumstances were not convenient or comfortable for him. In a place of slavery, against one of the highest officials in the land, who whose uh, command came from the king to obey and honor this man, but because of his faith in God and because of his determination to obey the word of God, he chooses not to obey the word of the king. He says, I will obey the word of God. Yeah. Imagine you are at work and Haman is your boss. And the CEO has given this instruction that everybody who wants to get a promotion should first, you know, be involved in some dodgy dealings. And Haman is your direct line manager that you report to. But the instruction didn't come from him, it came from the CEO. And you say, no, I'm a Christian woman, I'm a Christian man. I will not obey even the instruction of the CEO if it contradicts my values and my beliefs in God. And this was the scenario. And the people at the gate are saying to him, Mordecai, why don't you just show honor to this man? Have you been in a place where literally even the Christian people encourage you to just disobey God so that you can just be comfortable? That why don't you just disobey God? Like literally, like, why don't you just disobey God and just do this thing so that you can just get along with this boss? Why don't you just do the things that she or he is asking for so that you can just continue your career in this company? Why don't you just disobey God? And the people around him are saying to him, hey, just bow down and honor this man. And they were the same people that went and accused him to Haman. The second thing Mordecai did was that he sacrificed the comfort and convenience of bowing down to Haman, but chose the risk of obeying God's word. And all of us, when it comes to obeying God, if obeying the word of God was always a convenient act, all of us would obey God. If obeying God was always a comfortable thing, all of us will obey God. In fact, God would not even ask us to obey him if he knew that it was an automatic reaction to us. The reason why God asks for us to obey him because he knows that obedience would cost us something. And sometimes it costs us our comfort. He refuses to be comfortable. Imagine you were Mordecai. And you're working in an environment where when this man passes, everybody goes down and you're the only one standing. And then the next day he comes out, everybody bows down. 
you're the only one standing. You're the odd one out. Everybody's like, why are you trying to be so spiritual? Why are you the odd one out in this crowd? And that was not easy. It was not comfortable for Mordecai. And the third thing he did is that Mordecai obeyed the word because he knew God is faithful to perform his word. He knew that the God who had promised to protect them was going to protect them. He didn't know how God was going to do it, but all he knew was that God is faithful to perform his word. Maybe you are in a situation like Mordecai, and you are forced either to obey the word of God or to disobey the word of God. And if you obey the word of God, you don't know how your life is going to turn out. You don't know if you're going to die, if you're going to lose your job, if you're going to lose your business. But you know you have to obey God. Mordecai didn't know because we read the Bible in hindsight. We know what happened. But when he was in the moment, he didn't know what was going to happen. He chooses to obey God. And so God does this amazing thing. This one night, the king can't sleep. Now, we don't know why he couldn't sleep, but he just couldn't sleep. Now, the book of Annals would be a, quite a thick book because they recorded in it the stories of the kingdom. And it wasn't just the stories of one kingdom. It would be the, the stories of various kings and so forth and so on so that um, preceding kings would leave a legacy for succeeding kings. Is that what you say? Yes. For succeeding kings and so forth and so on. And so this one night, the king says, I can't sleep. Please bring me the book of remembrance so that I can read the stories that are recorded in it. I don't know how he fell on the story of Mordecai. As he's reading, he happens to read this word or this plot or conspiracy that Mordecai reported about. One day Mordecai was sitting at the gate and he overheard a conversation of people who were unhappy with the king and they wanted to kill the king. And he, recall, and he reported that to the king. And so the king is reading and remembers. He said, but when Mordecai did this, what did we do to him? He asked the people. They said, well, nothing. Then he says, call me Haman, the highest official in the land who wanted to kill at this time all the people of Israel in the land. They bring Haman. Now, Haman is his, the highest official in the land, so he's assuming well. So the king asks him, I say, what shall the king do to the man he wishes to honor? Like, Haman, why don't you advise me what I should do to the man that I want to honor? Haman says, well, listen, king. Get that man. Give him a, a royal robe. Give him honor. Get him on a horse. Let him ride in the city. Let people bow before him. And this man is thinking about him and he's thinking about himself that this is what the king is going to do to him. And so he gives the king all this wonderful counsel. And then in the end, the king says, Oh, Haman, please do exactly as you have said to Mordecai. <laughs> now, you can imagine. You are Mordecai. Now, you don't know what exactly is happening in the palace there. You are sitting at the gate in your misery and being the old one out. 
And suddenly the man you've been fearing who was going to kill you and your family comes to call you. That hey, the king is calling you that we need to honor you. Now, don't show me your reaction, but what would your reaction be? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to jump with joy or you're going to be crying. You know, if you're Anneli, you'll start crying before you laugh. But you... And so they go and call him and they honor him. And in the end, the man who was going to kill them, he himself lost his life. Not because the Bible is so cruel, but because obeying the word of God brings results. Obeying the word of God uh, with an understanding that God is faithful to perform his word. God would stop at nothing to perform the word of his promise to your life. And so Mordecai was elevated to a place of prominence in a land that was not his own because he obeyed God. And sometimes because of our short-sightedness, because we cannot see and we cannot tell in the mind of God what he's planning for our lives, we choose to compromise for temporary comfort, our, almost our eternal glory. We choose to compromise our almost uh, uh, everlasting comfort in the promise of God because we think and we cannot fathom how our life would be if I don't live with this boyfriend anymore. Like, what would my life look like if I would let go of this relationship that is not honoring God? But God knows how it's going to pan out for you. You're not going to be lonely. You're not going to be abandoned. God is going to make a plan for your life. Yeah. And so Mordecai didn't know, but God knew how things were going to pan out. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I want to do some prayer in terms of obeying the word. Maybe you are in that place this morning where you know that you have to obey the word maybe you're going back to work tomorrow or back to your family whatever your situation is I'll not be able to tell every person's situation but you know that the choice of not obeying the word would give you temporary comfort it really will It'll make you a friendly person with everybody. It'll make you loved by the head of department. It'll, it'll bring you some temporary comfort. But you know that's not the will of God for your life. You know that obeying the word of God in your current situation is going to cost you something. Maybe temporarily you're going to be lonely or alone. Maybe temporarily you might even lose your job. But you know that's the price you have to pay to obey the word of God. And my exhortation to you is that God is faithful to perform his word. I think Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold on to the confession of our faith or of our hope without wavering because he who promised 
is faithful to perform his word. As I said in the beginning, that when we obey the word, we're not exempted from challenges, but we are protected from them, like Mordecai was. I want to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you if you are in that place where you need to obey God. But if that's you, I want you to pause for a moment and begin to cry out for the grace of God to help you obey Him in this moment. That you would choose His Word and that you would choose to obey His Word above everything else. The pressure around you, the hostility of your environment, that you will still choose to obey Him. Father, right now in Jesus' name, Lord, your grace teaches us to say no to unrighteousness and, and ungodliness and to say yes to righteousness and godliness. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would give us your grace, each one of us here, grace to obey you, grace to practice your word. Lord, when we feel like we don't know the that when we feel like we don't know the way out that we should still choose to obey your word because you know the way out but when we feel like we might lose our provision by obeying your word give us the grace to still trust you and obey your word because you are our provision Thank you, Lord. The second thing I would love for us to do this morning is if you're here and you know in your heart that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've never said yes, maybe you grew up as a Christian because you went to church every Sunday but you've never made a decision, a personal decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. And I would love to invite you right now. If that's you, why don't you just wave at me and say, I would love to make that commitment today. Thank you, Jesus. Also, I just feel like there's some people here that, you know, you can think back to a time where your relationship with God was really close and tight, but you know that there's been a season where you've kind of walked away from that and perhaps, perhaps obedience to Him hasn't been your first priority and He hasn't been your first priority and you feel like you want to come back. You want, you're saying, God, you know what, I've, I've walked this road by myself, for myself, and it's not producing the kind of life I'd always wanted. And I'm coming back to you, Lord, and I'm asking that you would, you would restore to me that joy of my salvation. You'd restore to me that which has been taken from me. You'd restore to me the inheritance that is mine. And if that is you and you would like to make that, that turnaround, I would love to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask where you are, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you. 
Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, can we just all pray this together? Lord Jesus, I come to you. And again, I surrender my life to you. Lord, I declare that you're King and Lord. You're above all else. I surrender to you. I thank you that you're my Lord and Savior. And Lord God, I give my life to you in every way. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Those two people who raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to do something brave. Can you just come out of your seats and come here to the front just to make a, a public declaration that I really mean this, that this, this is something new in my life. Can we give them a hand as they come, church? Come on up. Turns out that there are more than two. So great, so great. Lord, we just bless these beautiful women and we just declare, Lord God, that they belong to you. We declare, Lord God, that every part of their life is, is surrendered to you and belongs to you and your victory stands over them, Lord God. We speak to all the turmoil of the past and we say you must stop right now in Jesus' name and we declare salvation upon salvation, right thinking, true living, God's blessing on every one of these lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. We love you guys. We're so proud of you. I'm going to ask you just for one moment to go with Kling. She's just got something she's going to share with you. It won't take long. You'll be back here in a very few minutes.